Adventism is struggling in Australia. Am I in safe ground saying that? My father's a pastor. I've shared this in, in, in my previous church. He's a pastor. He was a pastor in New Zealand. He was a pastor in Fiji. He was a pastor in New Guinea, in South Korea, Europe and Australia. A very experienced man. When I was in New Zealand and when I was in Australia, at times I would follow him from church to church to church. The churches were full. The churches were vibrant. The churches were on fire. The churches were winning souls to Christ. Do you remember those days? Huh? Not too many. They were on fire. These are the days of my childhood. The Adventist church was on fire. It was growing and it was growing quickly. Now I'm a pastor. I've been in youth work. I've travelled, not as extensively as my father, but I've been to many churches in New Zealand and Australia, many churches that I visited with my dad as a child. And those churches I went to as a child, which are full, are now empty. Something is wrong with the church in Australia and it matters to New Hope. Something is wrong with the church, I'll get into trouble for this probably, in Sydney. Because many churches that were once full, big, powerful churches, are now empty with just a few old people holding on for dear life. Am I right? And let me tell you what it is not. It is not the leadership, the administration, it is not the pastors, it is not the worship style, which will be challenging for me to say that to some of you. As leaders and pastors, perhaps we could do a better job at preaching the gospel. Perhaps at times our worship could be more spirit Filled, more vibrant, more enthusiastic, so that when people walk into our churches, they're attracted to Christ. Amen? Amen? But that's not the problem. It may be a fruit of the problem, but it's not the problem. And this story not only identifies the problem, it shows us how to solve it. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes. This is around Galilee. Remember, they came across the lake. Across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, you can imagine the scene. A man was who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. He didn't just come out to meet him. Some virgins say he ran toward him. And I can imagine the disciples, they ran back to the boat and not Jesus. For a long time, he, had, he this is this man, had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. This was the end result for this man of a life of sin. He was possessed of demons. Now, I haven't had all that much opportunity in my life and my ministry, kind of thank God for it, to meet and minister to people who are possessed of demons. But I know how powerful and how scary demons can be. Um, I was telling my church at Warunga a few years ago, I went on a, an outreach to, to, um, to PNG. And while I was up there, I think I kind of did something Foolish, because I stood up and I was I was in um, up in the highlands, Mount Hagen, and we had a big mission up there that I'd going up there on behalf of the church, and and hopefully we'll go and do some of this sort of thing. Amen. Some of you want to go on a mission trip with me sometime? 
very exciting. So that's when we're up there and we're doing this mission and where I was in Mount Hagen was in the middle of witch doctor territory. These people are afflicted by witch doctors, by, by darkness. In fact, sometimes up there a witch doctor can just uh, point a bone at someone, truly a finger, and even though they're Christian, they, may, they will be dead within two to three days. And so even when they come to Christ, darkness can have a real impact on them. And I'm up there, and I knew this, and I'm up there preaching. Uh, uh, some of these people literally coming out of the bush in their national dress. That, that's what a wild place it was where I was. But it was fantastic, and there were some amazing things going on. I'll, I'll tell you some more stories in the coming weeks about some of these uh, things that have happened and the power of God up there. But I got up the front one night, and I was dealing with the... the and I knew I had to deal with it. I was dealing with the... Um, subject of the occult, of demons, uh, of the very things that had come and possessed this man. And I believe in all cultures of the world, people are suffering demon possession. And, and, and our culture, our modern culture, our, our advanced technological culture that doesn't believe in God here in Australia, doesn't know how to deal with it. And a lot of people who are caught in these psycho, psychological psychiatric hospitals, not all of them because, uh, you know, there's such a real thing as, as mental sickness, but, but some of them, many of them, a demon possessed, and they need Jesus. And it's the same up there. That they're suffering from demon possession, the witch doctors. And I got up the front, and I'm preaching to thousands of people, and I said to them, you know what? Um, Satan is a coward. Now I'm in witch doctor territory. And I said, he's a loser. And he knows he's a loser. And then I addressed him, and I don't do that anymore. But I'll tell you what I said. I said, Satan, you are going to get yours and you know it. Leave these people alone. That night I went home. I felt pretty good about myself, foolishly. Uh, my dad was staying in the same room as I am. We, we had our little worship and I went to bed. I woke up at four, maybe three in the morning, and I had a demon around my throat trying to throttle the life out of me. Room was cold. And I was dying. And it took, you know, as you wake up from in that sort of experience, it takes you a few seconds to even realise what is going on. I couldn't talk because I was being choked. Marks on my throat the next day. And I cried out in my mind, Jesus save me. And it was like an angel came down and cast that thing off. And I could sense it and feel it in the corner, glowering at me. And so I've never been demon-possessed, but I've been attacked by demons. And that was the first attack of many that I had. And I have learnt the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his name. And if you are afflicted in any way by demons or demon possession, you just cry out on the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Identify the Jesus you're crying out on. Jesus of Nazareth, and he will save you. And it's that Jesus of Nazareth that we've got to take out to our community. Amen. And he is more powerful and he is stronger. In fact, he's the creator of the demons. And so I have never been demon-possessed, but I recognise the power, especially if you haven't got Jesus with you, of them. You know, that demon came back, or demons, three or four nights in a row. And each night I got more confident in my Lord. Amen? He followed me home to Australia. And afflicted me for two or three years on and off. Even to this day, every now and again, I get a visit. But I have learned and have confidence in the power of God. 
And I know despite my weaknesses, even my failings sometimes, that when I'm attacked, when I call on the name of Jesus, never once has he not come. Every time Jesus comes. And so I have great confidence in him from my own experience when it comes to darkness and what he can do to darkness. And I testify of that with my life. So this man's demon-possessed. Verse 28, as soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked. Imagine the scene. And he fell down in front of him. I guess the disciples were shrieking too as they ran for the boat. You imagine a, a wild naked man running at you. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Notice the demon recognises who Jesus is. I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out. The spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because I don't want you to give, get the wrong idea or the wrong concept. But demons are very, very dangerous if you don't have Jesus in your life protecting me. Did you hear me? You play with a Ouija board, you are a crazy man or woman. You watch some of the movies on television which are saturated in, in the occult and demon possession, you are mad. And it stuns me. Now, I am a preacher that always preach and teach the truth to you. But it stuns me when I see Adventist Christians watching programs and series that are full of witches and warlocks and wizards. What, what is wrong with us people? What is, what is wrong with us letting this sort of stuff into our mind? And I believe that, that God gives you almost natural defences against possession of these demonic, powerful angels. But when you go searching for this stuff, when you play on Ouija boards or you muck around with tarot cards or you visit a witch or you turn the television on and you watch some of these series which are just saturated in this stuff, the danger is not that they're not entertaining because they are. The danger is that you are opening your heart as a gateway to these evil forces. And sometimes, not always, sometimes they rush on in. And when you get demon-possessed, you've got a real problem. And this man had a real problem. He was fully demon-possessed. I like this story. Jesus, verse 30, demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. This is Jesus. I want you to get this. He created the angel who later became a demon. He created, Jesus created a legion of angels who made a decision to follow Satan in that great war in heaven. And when those angels made that decision, they became demons. And that legion that was created by Jesus, who had then turned against the master Jesus and joined with Satan in rebellion, had become demons and they were all inside that man. And it's a confronting experience for a Christian, a follower of God, to come into direct confrontation with someone who is as demon-possessed with darkness as this man was. But I'm interested to note that this demon, and you can read the scripture, is acknowledging Jesus and asking Jesus what he can and can't do. Are you noticing that? 
He's not just running amok, doing whatever he wants. He's in the presence of the Creator, in the presence of the King. And the moment Jesus stepped onto that shore, that demon, those demons knew that the King had come. And I want to tell you that when Jesus comes to you, it doesn't matter how many demons are inside of you. It doesn't matter how afflicted you've been, how far into darkness you've fallen. It doesn't matter how deep the sin is you've committed. When Jesus steps onto your beach and he comes, the demons know it. I want to tell you, they tremble inside you. Because when Jesus the Creator comes, the Messiah is on the beach. And when the Messiah is on the beach, you can expect salvation and freedom. And that's what... Jesus was about with this man. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged him to let them enter the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. I used to feel sorry for the pigs. Do you? I do. I I, I know they're an unclean animal, but I actually happen to quite like pigs, especially little ones. They're cute. You see them on there. Facebook, the internet, and they run around with their little nose and finding tiny little tails and they're clean as a whistle. Apparently they're very intelligent, uh, as intelligent as the dogs we have. And I used to wonder, why did the demons go into the pigs and to this day I don't have an answer? Except they did. And we see the end result of sin and darkness and Satan in your life because those pigs plunge into that sea and they drown. And I want to guarantee you today, I want to promise you, and it's I, 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 I kind of don't like saying this sort of thing as a pastor, but if you don't deal with the demons in your life with Jesus, sooner or later they will drown you. Maybe that's a lesson that Jesus got there for us with these pigs. And again, though, I notice that the demons are begging Jesus to let them do this or to do that. They're acknowledging the power of the master, and I think that's important. Now we get to the heart of the matter, and this is what I wanted to tell you today. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man that had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Jesus worked a miracle here. Do you get this? This man who's been possessed by demons, who's been to the darkest valley, who's been into the darkest rooms of human existence, who's probably been to a place that most of you will never visit. He's been set free by Jesus. Oh, I wish you could see the power of this. Jesus comes, a demon-possessed man is set free. And if Jesus can set that demon-possessed man free, he can set you free, he can set our community free. If the people of the world will let him, he'll set them free too. And the message that Adventism's got above all else is is that Jesus, the Saviour, will set you free. Amen? It causes me pain. I get anxious when I see Christian leaders seeing people who are caught in sin, who have got a lifestyle that is against what the Lord and Jesus has created us to be. And they say, oh, it's okay, it's how they're born or it's how they're designed. No, that's not the message of Christianity. The message message of Christianity is that Jesus has come to set people free. And he's going to start with you. Do you hear me? The freedom, thank you. The freedom, you keep encouraging me, little brother. The freedom, the freedom that Jesus offers has got to start with you. 
And when you've got that freedom, then you can extend it and, and share it with others. And I've got to tell you, one of the finest things you'll see in life is a person who has been caught in sin, who's been freed by Jesus. And this man's been freed. And he's sitting. This madman who they had to put chains around to try and control, he'd break them and run off and scare everybody. You see this madman running at you naked, you're going to run. It's not a streaker, even the police wanted to arrest. You're going to run when you see this guy. And he has this encounter with Jesus and he's been set free. Do you get the power of that? Yes. Amen. He's been set free. Oh, hallelujah, he's been set free. And he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And those who came and saw it, the Bible says, were afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Jesus come and set one free, set someone free. The whole world's going to know. And everybody saw it and the whole district gathered. I can't believe it. He's, he's sitting at the feet of, of Jesus. Where's the chain? I'm looking into his, his blue eyes or his brown eyes, whatever he had. And they're clear and I can see in He's been set free and the whole district is seeing it. Verse 37, And the people in the region of Gerasenus begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear had swept over them. The world doesn't understand the power of Jesus. But we do. And this is where it matters. So, verse 37, Jesus returned to the boat and he left that area, crossing back to the other side of the lake. But I want you to hear this. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go back with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, hear this, hear this. No, go back to your family And tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Do you get it? He's set free by Jesus. Of course he wants to follow Jesus. Kind of like the disciples, you know, they're standing there after Jesus' ministry was finished. And he's he's heading up into the clouds. What do you think those disciples wanted? Oh Lord, let me, I want to go to heaven with you. Don't leave me here. And what did Jesus say to them? No, you can't come with me. Go. Go preach the gospel. Go tell a story of what I've done for you and all the world. He says, and when you've done that, then I'll come back. But I'll tell you what he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to walk with you as you go out and do this. And those disciples went out and they went all across the world. And they gave their lives to take the message of Jesus and what he'd done. Look, what he had done for them. If Jesus has done nothing for you today, or you have not experienced, you've not felt it, then you've got nothing to share. Do you hear me? And that's the problem of Adventism. It's not that we're not running enough missions. My goodness, we spent hundreds of thousands last year on a mission here in Sydney and baptised just a few. Hallelujah, we praise God for every one of them. But until the 10,000 members of the Adventist Church in Sydney 
until the 60,000 members in Australia, until the 20 million members right around the world have an experience with Jesus, have a conversion to Him and know what it's like to be set free until they have that and then go out and share their story, their witness. The church will not move. But when they do... Lord, may I be alive for it. When the church, when the people of the church have this sort of conversion experience and then they go out and tell what the Lord has done for them, then you'll see a bushfire raging in the world that will finish the work and we will go home. Now you want to know the power of this? And I'm finishing. Mark chapter 6. After they cross, this is one chapter later, quite a few weeks, maybe months later. So we're in the next chapter. Jesus again crosses the lake and lands at the Gennesaret, same place. They brought the boat to shore this time. Now remember what's been happening while Jesus is away. This demon-possessed man who's running around naked, scaring the very life out of everybody, is now running around clothed saying, have you heard what Jesus did for me? Look at me. Look how the Lord has changed me. He's changed me. He, he's, he's impacted my life so great. He can impact yours too. He has gone right through that community, a community that had drifted so far from God that you had Jews looking after, caring for and farming pigs. And you would never get a Jew to even touch a pig. These people had drifted so far from the Lord, they're farming pigs. And yet this man runs around and he tells this community what the Lord has done for him. And Jesus comes back a month, we don't know exactly how long, but he comes back a little later and this is what happens. After they'd crossed the lake, they landed the Gennesaret, they brought the boat to the shore and climbed out and the people recognised Jesus at once. One version says all the people flocked to Jesus and they ran throughout the whole area and they're carrying sick people on mats to whatever they heard, uh, sorry, and they... Let me say it again. The people recognized Jesus once and they were ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And when he went in villages, cities or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplace. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. Amen. That's huge. He goes into a hostile secular area, this man. He's had an experience with Jesus. And when Jesus comes back, the whole area, villages, towns and cities flock to Jesus. Why? Because they saw what a change Jesus had made in this man. Now I'll close with a story because my time is up. I watched the execution. I didn't watch it, but I watched it from afar of Andrew Chan and Mayuran Sukumaran. When they were arrested 10 years ago, I remember, by the Indonesian police, they were arrogant, they were dark, they were evil, and they were wicked. They even claimed innocence and blamed others and got the whole lot of them put in jail. When they went for their court case, they were rebellious, they were brooding, and they were full of darkness, and the judges sentenced them to death. 
And then something happened to these two men. And I don't know exactly how it went. But Andrew Chan, both of them, and Mayur and Sukumaran found Jesus. No, let me say that again. Andrew Chan and Mayur and Sukumaran, Jesus found them. And their lives changed so dramatically with Jesus in them that even the secular press of Australia, which is Antichrist, on their execution, you had journalists working for secular papers who don't know the Lord, wondering in amazement at the faith and the journey of these men. And they went to their execution and they were shot in a hail of bullets. But their witness goes on. Because they were demon-possessed and they had Jesus came for them and he saved them. You know, I don't know the whole story, but I know when those men died, on the night of their death, of course they're all awake, it's approaching midnight, they're all gathered in a room, all eight of them. And Andrew Chan, who went so far, he went from being a drug runner to a Christian Protestant pastor. Hallelujah, amen. Andrew Chan, with the support of Sukumaran, gathers them all in a circle. How do I know this? Because an eyewitness shared it with a secular journalist and put it in a secular paper, the Sydney Morning Herald and Newscom.au Murdoch's paper online. They're testifying of the power of what happened that night. And they gathered them in a circle and they sang hymns. I know at least two that they sang Amazing Grace and the other one was... uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. And they they sang that song together. And there were tears in the room, and not just from the prisoners, but by the from the prisoners' guards. And then they prayed. This is these two men in a very powerful moment in these prisoners' lives. And they prayed over each one, encouraging them to confess their sins and to let Jesus be their saviour. And every one of those men who was going to be shot in the killing fields that night gave their hearts to the Lord. Amen? This is all in the paper. And then Andrew Chan and Sukumaran, Myer and Sukumaran went around the room. They hugged because time was up, all the men. And the one woman who, miracle of miracles, was let free as they were being led out to be shot. And then they went and hugged their guards. And the guards were Muslim guards. Were so overcome that they were crying and some of them were apologising for what was about to happen. And then they, they walked out that door. Andrew Chan first, followed by Moira and Sukumar. And they led the way. They didn't have to. They led the way singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And they took them by car to those killing fields. They kept singing that same song the whole way. They got out. They were tied to crosses. Appropriate, isn't it? Appropriate? They were tied to crosses. They refused to take blindfolds. And as the guards lined up to shoot them, they were singing Amazing Grace. And they died singing that song. And I feel emotional when I say it, don't you? These were men who had the same experience as this demon-possessed man, 
the same experience all of us need with Jesus and they had something to say. And they're up, they're strung up. They're strung up on those crosses, dying for their sins, sins that Jesus had forgiven, forgiven them for. And as they die, they're singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And the bullets came and the voices were silenced. But the grace had done its work. Amen. And so what is going to transform Adventism is people who had a conversion to Jesus Christ. And when you have a conversion to Jesus Christ, that's all the motivation you're going to need to share your story. 